the word ekphrasis comes from the Greek for the description of the work of art produced as a rhetorical exercise. It is a vivid, often dramatic, verbal description of a visual art piece. This is Darwin Mesidu. Welcome to season four, episode three of Ekphrastic, a podcast where we paint pictures with words. As always, please like, subscribe, and follow us on Twitter or at The Ekphrastic on Instagram. Same thing, The Ekphrastic. And to check out all the artwork we discuss, please visit www.darwindarko.com backslash Ekphrastic. Today's subject, Rene Magritte was a Belgian painter who had a way of making poetic images visible. He reimagined painting as a critical tool that could challenge perception and engage a viewer's mind. But first, let's get into some art news. In March 2023, the National Museum of Modern and Contemporary Art in Seoul, South Korea, um, opened a new exhibition titled Post-Human. The exhibition explores the relationship between technology and humanity through various forms of art. That's including installations, videos, and performances. It features the works of over 50 artists from around the world, including some prominent names such as Nam Joon Pak and um, Kyle Fay and Trevor Paglin. Also in um, art history news, the president of Hamlin University, which fired a professor for showing students paintings of the Prophet Muhammad, has resigned. The controversial incident is now the subject of a lawsuit against the school. Furthermore, we have in archaeology, construction on a UK supermarket screeches to a halt after workers uncovered an ancient Roman villa with mosaic tile floors. Construction will go ahead uh, with protective materials placed over the mosaic to avoid further damage. I'll be kind of cool if they can incorporate that into the architecture of the of the building. Um, what else we got going on here? So there is uh, in the uh, gallery network section here, Independent Art Fair returns next month with a focus on magical realism. Is there, um, so they have a first look at some of the highlights. This That could be found at Artnet uh, Gallery Networks. Uh, just Google that one and you'll figure it out. So known for being a launch pad for artists' careers and art trends, the forthcoming edition showcases artists exploring this new emergent style. And in crime news, <laughs> in the crime uh, crime news in the art world, a drunken party guest has pled guilty to stealing the tomb of a $4.5 million um, terracotta warrior at a Philadelphia museum. He faces a maximum sentence of two years in jail and a fine of $20,000. Let's let's look into that one. Let's read that one, and that'll be this will be our long read for today. Uh, so cool, all right, not that long. So that this should work out. A drunken night at the Philadelphia's Franklin Institute won't end with decades behind bars for museum visitor Michael Rohana, who has accepted a plea deal for stealing a finger from one of China's famed terracotta warrior sculptures during an ugly, um, ugly sweater uh, party. So this was a Christmas party. All right. So Rohana is scheduled to plead guilty to charges of interstate trafficking. Jeez, my guy went. <laughs> he went out of state with it. Rohana is scheduled to plead guilty to charges of interstate trafficking in Philadelphia federal court on April 17th. 
uh, so this is in a couple weeks coming coming up, reports the Philadelphia radio station. The maximum sentence will be two years in jail and a fine of $20,000. That's down from a 30-year prison sentence he previously faced in, um, on charges of theft and concealment of an object of cultural heritage from a museum. The first trial in the case ended in a mistrial when the jury couldn't agree on the verdict, and the second was delayed due to COVID. The Franklin Institute um, exhibition, Terracotta Warriors of the First Emperor, organized with Seattle's Pacific Science Center, featured 10 life-size warrior statues from the Terracotta Army. How long am I, how am I saying this? Terracotta, from the Terracotta Army, buried in the tomb of China's first emperor, uh, Qin Shi Huang. A rural farmers discovered the tomb uh, filled with some 8,000 soldiers from, uh, 200, uh, from 210 to 209 BCE. Uh, in Northwest China in the 1970s, this was uh, discovered. Rahana was just 24 years old when he attended an after hours party at the Franklin Institute on December 21st, 2017. During the event, he um, wandered into museum galleries, which he uh, which were unlocked and slipped past a stanchion rope blocking the entrance to enter the darkened um, exhibition. No one has ever, uh, <laughs> No one has ever conquered the, 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 the rope line before. Somehow he, he found his way, he engineered past the ropes to, to get to the exhibition. Video surveillance captured Rohana wearing a Phillies baseball cap. Of course, he's a Phillies fan and a bright green sweater posing for a selfie with an arm wrapped around 2000 year old sculpture known as the Calvaryman, uh, which was insured at $4.5 million. As he walked away, Rohana seemed to break something off the figure, left hand, and place it in his pocket. <laughs> Almost like it was an accident, dude. You forget what out of state with it, you dummy. Alcohol, uh, I'll tell you. It wasn't until January 8th that the Franklin Institute noticed that the statue's thumb was missing. A review of the security footage combined with credit card records from guests who purchased tickets to the event allowed an FBI investigation to finger Rohana Hun intended as the culprit. Friends with whom he attended the party later testified that he had spoken during the car ride home about taking the statue's finger and even shared an image of the uh, terracotta thumb on Snapchat. When FBI Special Agent Jacob B. Archer turned up at Rohana's Delaware residence in 2018, the suspect immediately confessed to his crime. He then returned the stolen digit, which he, uh, he kept stored in his bedroom desk drawer. China was furious with Hu Huang, um, director of the Shanxi Cultural Heritage Promotion Center, which loaned the sculptures to the traveling exhibition, demanding that the U.S. severely punish the perpetrator, the perpetrator according to the BBC. Uh, that's what they're talking about. The Philadelphia passed on official res a resolution apologizing, or they passed an official resolution apologizing for the incident. Three months later, a federal grand jury um, indicted Rohana under the federal art theft statute. Statute. When the matter went before a jury, the case resulted in a mistrial. That was in 2019, with the jury unable to render a verdict. What made the case unique for an art theft proceeding was the lack of financial motive. The dude was just drunk. <laughs> Finger dropped off. He took it. Panic. Panic. Took it in his pocket and flew out of state with it. What? The dummy was posting it on 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 social media as usual. Social media the, will be the bane of our existence. And the statute only applied to artwork with a value of over $5,000. Separated from the figure, how much was the thumb worth in its own, really? 
Two expert witnesses offered wildly different appraisals testifying on behalf of the pr uh, prosecution. Michael Kahn claimed it was worth 5% of the sculpture's total value, or $150,000, called by the defense. Larky Mason named a figure of just $1,000. When Rohana took the stand, he admitted he didn't know why he had stolen the thumb. Every time I see this video now, I'm trying to figure out what was going through your mind. What were you thinking? I don't know how I could have done something so stupid, he said. The jury had to ask itself, did an incident of impulse, alcohol-fueled vandalism really merit the same punishment as a premeditated art heist? Rohana's lawyer argued that it did not. These charges are made for art thieves. Think like Ocean's Eleven or Mission Impossible, um, they told the jurors. Uh, Rohana wasn't uh, in ninja clothing sneaking around the museum. He was a drunk kid in a bright green ugly Christmas sweater. So that's his defense and uh, looks like it, it sort of worked. He didn't get the maximum that all these, um, that the statute um, allows for. Uh, but, you know, you still did a crime. You still did something stupid and there's consequences for that. You know, just like if you went out driving, yeah, you didn't intend to hurt anybody, but if you went out driving and you were drunk and you were, and you made stupid decisions behind the wheel, you, you killed somebody. Yeah, you you're not, you can't just call you a murderer necessarily because that implies intent. But um, you still did something stupid, and there's consequences for that, and you should still be punished. And, and, and maybe intent um, does give you mitigating circumstances to to increase the um, the conviction. Uh, but I, I think this is appropriate. Uh, it's kind of funny uh, in a bright green sweater <laughs> with a Phillies hat on, dummy. Anyways, uh, moving right along. So the next thing is uh, we don't have a um, a book recommendation this time. But I do recommend, um, I do recommend, there's this new show. You can sit back, relax, and watch. Um, they're taking it to the next step in art, and there's a, there's an art for all mission, right? And the Hershorn um, has partnered with MTV and the Smithsonian Channel to share even more modern and contemporary, contemporary art in a six-episode docu-series. So it's called The Exhibit, Finding the Next Great Artist. Uh, it premiered back in March 3rd and um, and several days later, you know, it, it, it recasts or it replays on um, the Smithsonian Channel. So it's the first of its kind show. It highlights how artists create original paintings, sculptures, prints, mixed media art uh, work in response to some of the most important ideas of our time. So, you know, they prompt them and then, you know, and set them free to go uh, create. So in the premiere episode, the seven uh, meet one another and are, are treated to a night in uh, the Hirshhorn's galleries, complete with a tour of its storage vaults. As the artists wander among uh, works by such artists as Mark Bradford, Laurie Anderson, and, and Barbara Kruger, uh, the audience too is made privy to an exclusive behind the scenes tour of the rarely seen spaces of a public museum. So these are the vaults, you know, the, these museums keep some of these exhibits uh, under lock and key and away from public viewing. Um, but this was behind the scenes, so this is kind of cool. And they bring these things out, you know, periodically. So that, that was cool. The artists are next tasked with their first assignment at their workshop in Baltimore, responding to gender issues. Another episode has the artists responding to the rise of social media. The show was conceived and, ex and um, executed for the Smithsonian Channel, but it was the corporate chiefs at Paramount and Viacom who determined it was deserving of a wider audience. 
So here's a review that I, I read that, that kind of sums it up pretty well. This has to be the top show in its genre. It's probably one of the only shows kind of in its genre, but I, I get your meaning. Um, it's marvelous to see such talented artists producing work with such speed. And while I rarely agree with the judging, it is nevertheless fascinating to have such a diverse group of artists compete for what is a pretty, uh, what is a marvelous opportunity and a relatively small sum of money considering the amounts art, you know, is auctioned for. Um, it such deserves, um, is such diverse mediums, it, well, they're using diverse mediums and it's astonishing, I say, and they find, they, they sum it up here fabric versus print versus sculpture versus painting is incredible to watch and i find myself without loyalty to any one artist but each individual work now watch this if you get a chance you will not be disappointed so thank you there reviewer and we will be checking it out and put it out for everybody else to um i'm sure youtube probably has a few clips if you want to just like dip your toe in before you jump into the show all right so now we can get back to our artist of the day renee magritte Rene Magritte was a Belgian surrealist artist born in uh, 1898 in Lezines, a small town in the province of Honaut, Belgium. He was the eldest son of Leopold Magritte and Regina uh, Burtonkamps, who owned a small business in the town. Magritte's childhood was marked by tragedy, uh, one that, that is highlighted the most when you, when you read about Magritte is the death of his mother. She committed suicide by drowning herself um, in a river when he was only 13 years old. This traumatic event had a profound effect, as you can imagine, on Magritte and would later inspire some of his, inspire some of his um, artwork, uh, particularly his paintings. The Lost Jockey, which depicts a man with his head covered by a cloth standing near a river. He's done several paintings with this cloth covering someone's head or someone's um face so uh you know that that is the relevance of that because there's a there's the lore is that when his mother was found in the river the dress that she had on uh you know it was you know the, because the waves and the water it was ended up just covering her face and, and just and sitting on her body you know oddly and her face was completely covered by this white dress that she had on so he incorporates that in a lot of his artwork Magritte's early artistic style was heavily influenced by Impressionism, but he later turned to Surrealism, which would become his signature style. He attended the Académie Royale des de Beaux Arts in Brussels for two years, but dropped out in 1918 to work in a wallpaper factory where he developed his skills as a graphic um, designer. Uh, René Magritte's career reached its prime in the mid in the mid um, 20th century during the height of the Surrealist movement. He had already established himself as a prominent figure in the art world with his distinctive style, which incorporated everyday objects and images in unexpected and often jarring ways. During this time, Magritte was known for his ability to challenge conventional ideas about reality and perception, using art to explore the mysteries of the human mind and the absurdities of modern life. His paintings were characterized by a sense of mystery and ambiguity, often featuring faceless figures floating objects, and other surreal elements that defied explanation. One of his most famous works, The Treachery of Images, features an image of a pipe with the words, Sinus pa un pipe, which is, this is not a pipe. 
written beneath it. This painting, like many of Magritte's works, played with the idea of representation and challenged the viewer's perception of reality. So this is not a pipe, for example, was a picture of a pipe, it was an image of a pipe, but he's right, it was actually not a pipe. <laughs> it was a representation of a pipe. And by pipe, uh, we're talking about the smoking kind. All right, so a little bit about his style. So he's best known, like I mentioned, for his surrealist paintings, which often featured ordinary objects arranged in unexpected and thought-provoking ways. His style was characterized by a precise and realistic technique combined with a dreamlike and sometimes unsettling atmosphere. One of the hallmarks of Magritte's style was his use of juxtaposition, where he placed unrelated objects together to create a sense of mystery and confusion. Why are these objects together? How did they come to be in the same space? For example, in his painting, The Treachery of Images, um, where he says, this is not a pipe, he's challenging the viewer's perception of reality. You're looking at this thing um, and it's clearly a pipe, but he has a deeper message to tell you, you know, you know to appreciate the visible versus the um, perceivable, right? Um, and, and there's importance in, in oftentimes in what's in the foreground and what's in the background in, in, his, in his works. Overall, Magritte's artistic style was highly influential and has had a lasting impact on modern art. His surrealist paintings continue to captivate and challenge viewers to this day. Today's ekphrastic poem, is a retrospective on what is arguably Rene Magritte's most well-known iconic work. Um, it has become em emblematic of the Surrealist movement. Um, this work that I'm talking about, this famous painting, is called The Son of Man. It was painted in 1964. The Son of Man depicts a man wearing a bowler hat and a business suit with an apple obscuring his face. This apple is floating in front of his face. Um, and its enig enigmatic symbolism has sparked countless interpretations and discussions. As a reminder, here's how this works, folks. Remember, this is going to be a description of a visual art piece. As I'm speaking, I want you to visit the acrastic page on my website, darwindarko.com. Check the show notes for a link. There you will find catalog for your viewing pleasure, this piece and um, all the artwork we discuss there for your viewing pleasure. To accompany today's reading, I want you to pull up The Son of Man. I'll give you a second to search for it in your browser. It's the Son of Man, a masterpiece of art, with hidden truths and secrets that impart a message that resonates within the soul. A painting bears fruit of old stories told in allegory mode. Magritte's work, a paradox of the mind, a faceless figure, a mask we all find in a world where deception is the norm, dressed to mourn, the image forewarns of an impending storm. A bowler hat fruit of knowledge and sin, an apple that shows the paradox we're in, a symbol that speaks to the human race of disgrace hidden beneath the face in a familiar place. And so we gaze upon his art and wonder on the truth that it imparts, a painting that defies gravity, a masterpiece, or simply a man besides the sea. For the son of man, we find the truth that lingers like a whisper's proof, a reminder that we're not alone, that we're all human flesh 
and bone. So we listen to the silence of the art and let the Son of Man speak to our heart. A painting that begs for our attention. The intention about the mask is our own invention. I thought you'd never ask. At the height of his career, Magritte was widely re regarded as one of the most important artists of his time, both within the Surrealist movement and beyond. His work was exhibited in galleries and museums around the world, and he continued to create new and innovative pieces until his death in 1967. Today, his legacy continues to inspire and challenge artists and art lovers alike, cementing his place as one of the most iconic figures in modern art. Fans of Rene Magritte's work can enjoy his um, art at various museums and galleries around the world. Here are a few notable places. Um, the Magritte Museum, which is in Brussels, Belgium. Of course, you would think they would have one there. The museum is dedicated entirely to the works of, Ma of Magritte and has a vast collection of his paintings, drawings, sculptures, and personal belongings. There's the MoMA in New York. Uh, it has an extensive collection of modern and contemporary art, including several of Magritte's famous works right there at the MoMA. Uh, always a good place to, 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 to go see um, art, a lot of the artwork work we discuss. There's also in Paris, uh, the Centre Pompidou. Pompidou, how do you say that? It's a, it's a modern art museum in Paris that has an impressive collection of surrealist art, uh, specifically, uh, including works by Magritte, of course, and in Houston, USA. Uh, the Minnow Collection, uh, this is in Houston, it's a museum that houses a large collection of surrealist art and Magritte's work can be found amongst them. In addition to these uh, museums, many other art institutions around the world have Magritte works on display, uh, but also you, there's, a, you can go to the, uh, there's a website dedicated, uh, maybe it's by his foundation, I'm not sure it's endowment maybe. Um, the um, Magritte website, you can search for it in your browser and you, and you can find it there. A lot of his work are on display there. So that was fun. I'm glad we took um, this journey of getting to know Renee Magritte a little bit. I'm glad you were able to join me on that for this and other artwork we discussed. Like I mentioned before, darwindarker.com backslash Frastic is where you can find all the stuff cataloged for your viewing pleasure. If you like the show or if you want to leave um, some creative feedback, please rate us five stars, hopefully, uh, and leave a comment. You know, that's always helpful. Another great way to support the show is to share it on your socials to your friends about it. Um, speaking of which, we are on Twitter at The Acrastic, um, Instagram, The Acrastic, and of course on YouTube, just type in uh, The Acrastic Podcast and we'll come up there. Uh, I've been Darwin Mesadu. Thanks again for listening to The Acrastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah.